Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Let me say good morning to you again. Um, As Jay mentioned, my name is John Warnock. I am on staff here. Uh, It is a pleasure to be here with you this morning to continue this series uh, that we started a couple of weeks ago. You might remember if you were here about three weeks ago, um, I started the series off. I got the Bell South call to the bullpen um, when Keith got the stomach flu and we kind of got things going and uh, we talked a little bit about um, God being in control and God's sovereignty in the midst of all of the evil and suffering and all of that kind of stuff that, that goes along. Anybody remember that vaguely? Um, I barely remember that. Um, so the next day, uh, on Monday, I decided I was going to take a, a day off, all right? And so my kids go to school, my wife and I, we go on a walk that morning, we're having a great morning, and then my wife goes up to the elementary school to volunteer in the library, I eat some lunch, and then I decide I'm going to sit down and waste a little bit of time and play uh, Xbox 360. And yes, I just admitted to a group of people that I'm 38 years old and I play the Xbox 360 every once in a while. All right, so I sit down to play because it's fun every once in a while. Anybody like to play? All right, I see a couple of people out there that are that are supporting me on that one. Anyway, the phone rings, and I think to myself, nobody calls me during the day here on the house phone. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy my game because this has got to be for Lindsay, or it's going to be somebody calling wanting something, and it's not for me. And so, but there was a little something in the back of my mind that said hey, I need you to answer this phone. And so I was like, all right. So I push pause on the game. If you've got kids, you know how hard that is to get somebody to push pause on the game, right? So I push pause on the game, and I go answer the phone, and it's my sister. And she's in a panic. And she said, hey, there's something wrong with mom. And I went, okay, so tell me what that is. What is it that's wrong with mom? And so she goes, well, she can't finish her sentences. They were talking on the phone. And so I said, all right, let me, let me call you back. So I hung up the phone. I called my mom, and I said, hey, mom, how are you? And she said, fine. And I said, what are you doing? She said, making lunch. And I said, okay, well, everything sounds good to me so far. So then I said, well, what is it that you're making? And she said, soup and, and then there was silence. And I went, oh, gosh. something." So I asked her a couple other questions, and she could get about a half of a sentence out and wouldn't finish the other part of her sentence. So I said, all right, Mom, I'll be there in a second. I'm going to come get you, take you to the hospital. And so uh, get in the truck, call Lindsay, and say, hey, I'm heading down to my parents' house. And she goes, well, have you called 911? I went, oh, yeah, that's right. We live in the modern era where I can call 911. So I called 911, told them what was going on. They actually got to the house before I did, which is a good thing. Um, But on my drive down to my mom and dad's house, I live in Fayetteville, they live in Peachtree City, I'm panicking a little bit. Now let me tell you how I know I'm panicking a little bit. Because when I called 911 and I was saying bye to the operator, I told them I loved them. (laughs) I went, oh, ah, I wish you could just kind of bring that back sometimes. I don't know, maybe if you're a 911 operator, you hear that all the time. I don't know. But it was weird. I was panicking a little bit, and I was going, I, I don't want to go through all this again. My dad had a stroke about five years ago, and he's a different person because of it. And it, it, it's hard. And I remember thinking, Lord, please don't. No, not, not this, not now. This is not the time for this. And it wasn't about the game anymore. It was about life. And I was going, no, please. And I remembered then As I'm driving down the road, I remembered some of the things that we talked about the day before, about that God is sovereign, about that God is in control. And I said, God, I I believe those things, but help me to believe. Have you ever prayed something like that? 
And you said, God, I, I, I know that your word is true. I believe that, but I need your help right now to really believe that. And listen, I, as I was praying that, I don't know how to explain it other than to say, God gave me that peace that passes all understanding in those moments. And it wasn't a promise that my mom was going to be okay. Don't make the mistake. I don't know that God promises that kind of stuff all the time. But it was a promise that said, no matter what happens today, I am with you. I am God. I am good. I am sovereign. I am in control. Now, my mom, thankfully, is okay. That wasn't the promise. The promise was that God is good and that he is in control. So let me just kind of say as, as, a, as a prayer and maybe even a confession to you, um, and, and <clears throat> it's not bad to ask you to pray. For, I'm not ready for another lesson in this tomorrow. All right, so... I'm not. I don't, I'm not ready for a lesson uh, in this tomorrow. But I simply share that story with you because I think that when we talk about and when we share about how good God is, it brings him glory, right? I think when we tell stories about how God has impacted our lives and changed our lives in the midst of evil and suffering, I think it brings him honor and glory. And so today, we're continuing on this series called Deliver Us From Evil. We've covered a lot of ground, really, over the last few weeks. I want to remind you that any one of these sermons as a standalone message on evil and suffering and all of that that goes on in the world is not going to answer all of your questions. As a matter of fact, um, and if you, well, let me say this first. Um, if you have missed some of the sermons, I want to encourage you to get them on our website. Go to the podcast section and listen to them. I think you'll find them helpful if you've not heard them all. But I also want to admit to you that you could listen to this whole series, and quite frankly, you're still, you still may have questions about evil and suffering. And if you find yourself in that spot, I want to put an invitation out there to you. Let us as a church staff know. Come talk to one of the, one of the, one of the ministers or pastors on our staff. And I, I, let me go ahead and admit to you, we're not going to know all the answers then either. But what, what I can say to you is, is that we will pray with you. We will seek God together and we will help walk through those times together, or we'll help connect you with people that will help you walk through those times together. Does that make sense? Let me do a, a really quick recap of what we've learned so far in this series. Week one, we looked at the problem of evil, why it exists, why God continues to allow it. We looked at the fact that God is good and God is sovereign. In week two, Keith talked about um, God's response to evil and answered the question, where is God when evil happens? And then last week, uh, Keith shifted the conversation just a little bit, and he began to focus on how do we overcome our personal battle uh, with evil. And so today, we continue looking at our personal battle with evil, and how do we win it? How do we overcome evil in our lives, and what specifically... I hope to help you understand where evil and suffering comes into our life. There are at least three avenues. It may not be all of the avenues, but it's three of the avenues that it comes in. And, and to give you a strategy to overcome those elements of evil. So before we do that, can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are good and that you love us. As we continue to wrestle with these big questions, let us first and foremost love you more because of this series and the study of your word. Father, please continue to build our faith in you, to strengthen our trust in you, and help us to be transformed through the study of your word. As I prayed a few weeks ago during our message, I want to pray for the people in this room that are in the midst of being afflicted by evil and or suffering. Father, help them to know you're right there with them. 
that you're walking through this time with them. Help them to feel your presence in a real and tangible way. And God, help our church to be an answer to evil in individuals' lives and in our world's life. God, help us to be a church family that overcomes evil with good, not by our own power or to our own glory, but by your power and to your glory. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I know I talked about 360 games, but just forget video games for a second. How many of you guys enjoy playing games at all? Doesn't matter what kind of game it is. Anybody enjoy playing games? Man, I love playing games. It doesn't matter if it's a card game. It doesn't matter if it's uh, a sports game out there doing you know, baseball or soccer or whatever. I love playing games. Now, I realized back in November, um, one of the reasons why I love playing games, and it's, it's partly a competition thing. I mean, I want to win. There's something inside of all of us, I think, when we play that we want to win. There's the competition. But here's what I realized. I realized that I like the strategy to figure out how to win. I started playing uh, back in November. Actually, my oldest son, Caleb, started playing uh, inline uh, hockey uh, back in the fall. And so I was watching him on Saturdays play hockey, and I went, you know, that looks like a lot of fun. And so I started looking around, and there's an adult co-ed league that plays on Saturday nights. And so I thought, hey, I'll get out there and give that a shot. That looks like a lot of fun. And so I went out there the first time. I didn't have a clue about hockey. I don't know anything about it. Here's what I've learned about me over the past couple of weeks and months. I'm learning the rules to this game so that I can understand the strategy about when people or the puck goes over here, where do I go? Or what can I do with the puck to kind of get it around somebody else? I love understanding the rules of the game so that I can help develop a strategy to win, right? So as we talk about these avenues of evil, man, don't hear me say I'm glorifying these avenues of evil. What I'm hoping to help you understand are the rules of the game so that we can develop a strategy to overcome them. So the first avenue that we're going to look at is this. It's the world. The world is the first avenue of evil that comes into our lives. There's a quote on the screen. It's it's the without God philosophy and influences that rule our earth. I have a question for you. In general, in our culture, in our society, do people behave and believe differently than how Jesus taught us to believe and behave? That ought to be an obvious answer if you just look out there in our society or look out there in the world. People generally... Look at our own lives. People generally on their own don't follow what God has asked us to do. We don't follow our lives or pattern our lives as God commanded, as God taught, as God modeled. Some quick examples. The world says the more you have, the more money you have, the more stuff you have, the happier that you will be. Or look at our entertainment, the things that we watch on TV. Things that we do in the name of fun, how many of them are entertaining us with things that are contrary to God's direction and God's instruction? I mean, I thought about this week as I was watching some of the shows that I watch and went, holy cow, I'm watching stuff that's sin. And I'm entertaining myself with that. Now, don't hear me say that I think you need to cut the cord off the back of your TV. But what I am saying is that we have to be careful about the things that we watch and put into our heads because it will desensitize us to the horrible things that do go on out there in the world. Now, just in case you think that this was a brand new problem to us in America today, let me read for you Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. 
It says this. It says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Listen, the world is not something new that we created in American society. We like to beat up on our society sometimes, but it is not anything new. You go anywhere around the world, and they're struggling with the world thought and value system that is pressing them in. They did that thousands of years ago as well. They struggled with it. Let me look, give you another verse very quickly. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says this, it says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. This verse is teaching us, it's saying to us, that there are three areas of the world thought and value system that can train wreck us, that will influence us with evil. The craving for passions, this craving for more, wanting more, never being satisfied with what you have, and wanting the new, next, better thing. The lust after um, passions. I don't think much explanation needs to be given there. If it does, ask your neighbor, they'll explain that to you. The boasting of our pride, boasting about the things that we have and do, that's all part of the world. And God in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 warns us about the pressure that we will face to conform to the world where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform. That implies action. It implies that we have to actively do something to stay away from the world that is pushing us and trying to mold us. Anybody ever watch a UFC fight? Less people are going to admit that than the Xbox 360. Some hands are going up. If you've never seen them, they're fascinating. I'm not saying you should watch them. I'm just saying that they're fascinating to me. But here's what happens in these fights. There's, there's these two guys, and they're there trying to beat the snot out of each other. And it's a sport. They're there. They willingly went into it. And here's what happens with them. They'll get on the ground invariably. And one of them is trying to get the other one in an arm bar, trying to break their arm, although they usually tap out so it doesn't happen, or trying to choke them out. Now, the guy on the bottom that's getting ready to get his arm in an arm bar or trying to get choked, he is desperately trying to get out. He is doing counter moves that I don't even understand. He's throwing punches back. He's twisting his hips. He's doing whatever he can to get out of the mold that that guy that's on top of him is trying to press him into. We, spiritually, we need to become like the UFC fighter that is trying to get out of that. Because here's the deal. The world is like another uh, spiritual UFC fighter that is, that is trying to choke you out, trying to get you in an arm bar and get you to tap out. And if you don't figure out how to not conform to that, if you don't fight back and you just go, ah, no big deal, I'm just going to go along, it will train wreck you, I promise You've got to diligently do something. You have to actively do something so that you don't conform to the patterns of this world. 
So what is the biblical strategy then for winning over the world's thought and value system? Winning over the world, it's this. Love the Lord. That is our strategy. If you want to become a spiritual UFC fighter, the strategy is love the Lord. Actively pursue loving God. Passionately pursue loving God. Desperately pursue loving God. And just a few minutes ago, we read 1 John 2, verse 16. I want to now do the bookends to that. Verse, 17, or verse 15 and verse 17. Here's what it says in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then verse 16 that we read a few minutes ago. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of the Father lives forever. This verse is teaching us that the reason that you and I fall into the world's way of thinking, the reason why that we're molded into those things, is that we love the world. We think that by following the passions of the world, that we think that that will bring us contentment or happiness or bring us security. And the only way to escape that allure is to find something that we love more and to replace it. It's not enough just to say, okay, I'm going to stop loving the world. You actually have to do something different and love God. Let me illustrate it for you this way. On the screen, you're going to see a picture of a dollar bill because some of you are too far away from the stage to see this. Here's a dollar bill. I want you to get that image of a dollar bill in your mind. Sort of green in color. It's got George Washington on there. It's got a number one on there. You got the image in your mind? I want you to think about it. What can you do with this dollar bill? Not much. Maybe go buy half a cup of coffee at Starbucks, right? But it's green, it's nice, you can do something with it, you could help somebody with it. All right, now I want you to close your eyes. Don't think about that dollar bill. Whatever you do over the next few moments, don't think about that dollar. Don't think about how green it is. Don't think about the half a cup of coffee you can buy with it. Don't think about that dollar. All right, so open your eyes for a second. How many of you didn't think about the dollar? Anybody? Could you get the dollar out of your head? Okay, if you did, and my bet is most of us didn't. If you did, it's because you thought about something else. You started thinking about lunch. You started thinking about, I wish this guy would be quiet. You started thinking all kinds of other stuff if you were able to stop thinking about it. If you didn't, it's because every time you heard me say the word dollar, that image popped back into your head. That's how our minds work. We can't just go, I'm not going to think about something. I'm not going to think about something because it doesn't work that way. Every time we say that in our heads, we think about whatever that thing is. So we have to replace that then We have to replace that then with a love for God. Now, this love for God is not developed in an instant. No great love is. As you spend time with God daily through prayer and scripture reading, that is how you begin to develop that love for God. And that is how God will begin to change and transform your life. That is how God will begin to help you to move away from loving the world and loving him. You spend time with him daily in prayer, and in reading his word. I want to give you a very quick illustration of where something like this happened. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, this illustration is only slightly correct because it's not about a sin that I'm talking about, but it's a a story of about a guy who God changed his heart. Some of you guys know Jeff Myers. Jeff is the guy that started the, um, had the vision of the orchard here on campus, right? Well, a number of years ago, Um, Jeff uh, was involved um, in remote control airplane flying. 
And he and some friends, I think his air club, they started an air show that became, seriously, the world's largest air show for remote control flyers. People would come from all over the United States, and I think people came from around the world to this air show down in Georgia. Right? So it was a big deal. He spent a lot of time, energy, and effort doing all of that. There's nothing wrong with an air show. Please don't hear me saying the air show sin or the remote control airplanes are sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is he was devoting his life to a whole bunch of stuff out there. So Jeff becomes a follower of Christ, and I honestly meant to ask him this morning. I think it was about five years ago, give or take just a little bit, okay? He becomes a follower of Christ. He begins to, to study God's Word. He begins to grow. And I vividly remember a couple of years ago talking with Jeff, and he said, you know what? He said, I wish... Or not even I wish. He said, I, I, I would like to do something with my time, energy, and effort and spare time. Something that maybe was a little more meaningful than this air show thing. And so he began to pray. He began to seek guidance. And he heard about the Real Life Center. And he fell in love with the Real Life Center. And he heard about the food that's given, given away there. And there's food that's donated. But you know one of the types of food that doesn't get donated is fresh fruit. And so he said, hey we got lots of land here. What if we were to develop an orchard? And so he came to the church staff. He talked to the staff and said, hey, what do y'all think about this? And we were like, yeah, that sounds great. And so, boom. Now when you drive on our property, what do you see right back there? Now listen, again, it's not that the remote control airplane thing is, it was a sin, but as he began to grow in his walk with Christ, God began to transform him to help him to have a desire to do something for him that was a little more meaningful and that would have an impact. As you begin to spend time with God and love him, God will transform your life as well. He will begin to transform your love, your love for the world into a love for him. All right, that's how we overcome the world. We love Jesus, right? There's a second avenue that comes into our lives, and it's the flesh. The flesh, what is that? That's a good question. It's our spiritual disposition to sin. Remember from our first week, we talked about that without God, we're all sinners. It's a little hard for us to admit that. None of us likes to say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm wrong sometimes. I'm wrong a lot of times. Nobody likes to say that. But it is our spiritual disposition to sin. Now, to be clear, the Bible uses the word flesh to describe two things. Sometimes it describes our physical bodies, as you might find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 38 and through 39. You can look at that later on. And there it's talking about our physical bodies. But it also uses the word flesh to describe our spiritual disposition to sin, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? This second type of flesh is what we mean when we talk about a, a, an evil that comes into our lives, that can impact us. It's not our physical bodies. There's been people throughout Christendom that have said it's our physical bodies that, that cause evil. And so they've done some really weird things. If you don't know what those are, don't worry about it. But just in case you were struggling with that, it's not our bodies that are evil. They don't need to be purified in that sense. It's our heart it condition that's wrong. Does that make sense? Now listen, just in case you don't believe me, how many of you had to be taught how to lie when you were a kid? Anybody? Anybody have to teach you how to lie when you were a kid? And nobody. Now we had other influences when we were in high school that probably taught us how to do things wrong, but nobody had to teach us how to lie. We all have this innate thing in us that without God, we have this disposition to sin and go our own way. So what is the strategy then to overcome the flesh? 
our tendency to sin, the Bible really gives us two strategies to overcome that from the same passage of Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. See if you can pick out what the two strategies are here. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 say, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The Bible there has given us two very simple strategies to overcome our natural tendency to sin, and it's this. The first one of those, we overcome our flesh by serving one another. You serve one another. Here's how that works. It takes the focus off of you and me and puts it on somebody else. When we begin to live our lives to help someone else instead of always looking out for us, it helps us to take the focus off of us and our sin. The second part, though, is to walk by by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Either way, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, mean the same thing. It's this. It's putting God on the throne of your life daily. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Bill Bright, some of you guys may have heard of him. He started Campus Crusade. Um, He had a great way to teach us how to walk in the Spirit, a very simplistic way, but very powerful and profound. He called it spiritual breathing. Here's what it looked like. He said, and this is um, an illustration. It's not literal, but you would breathe out. You would exhale sin. You would confess your sin daily based on 1 John 1, 9 that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, and that you would inhale more of Jesus. Those are my words, not his. But you would inhale more of Jesus and say, God, as I'm inhaling you, I am asking you to be on the throne of my life. I'm submitting myself to you. And that you would do that daily. You would do that moment by moment. And as you do that, it creates an awareness that God is really on the throne of your life and that you're not there. That's how we walk by the Spirit. And so we overcome the flesh by serving others and walking in the Spirit. But there's a third avenue of evil that will try to influence your life and to wreak havoc in your life, and it's this. It's the devil. The devil is the third avenue that tries to get into your life and will try to train wreck your life. We talked a few weeks about a little ago about him a few weeks ago. And in a few moments, I want to give you a little bit about who Satan is, but I want to share with you some troubling stats that I came across. Uh, And if these are even halfway true, man, we are are in sad shape because, check this out, Barna Research Group found that two out of every three Americans don't believe that Satan is real. Two out of every three Americans think that Satan is just a symbol of evil and that he's not a real being. That may not shock you too much because you might go, okay, well, America's not, there's not a lot of Christians anymore out there in America. Maybe that's what you think. But check this out 52% of evangelical Christians deny Satan's existence. That was shocking to me. Over half of the people who say, evangelical Christians say, we believe in Jesus, we believe he's out there, but we don't believe that Satan exists. If that's only partly true, Man, we are in trouble. Listen, I don't want to scare you necessarily. To I don't want to talk about the devil to scare you about him. Because I don't think, if you're a follower of Christ, I don't think you have to be scared of him. I think you need to respect him. I don't think you need to be flippant with him. 
Because of the power of Jesus is in our lives, we don't have to be afraid of him. But listen, if you, do, if you deny that he's there, if you deny that he's out there, you've already lost the battle against him. How many of you guys remember a guy named Timothy Treadwell? Does that name ring a bell into you at all? Now this story might, you might remember a guy who got sick of society and he decided that he was going to go live with the, uh, the bears in Alaska. Remember that guy now? He went and, and he lived with bears in Alaska and he, and he said things like, I'm going to become friends with these bears. Those were my words, not his, but he goes, these bears are going to accept me into their family. I don't believe that they're really going to hurt me. All right, well, that was true for about 13 years. Did a little research on him. He lived with those bears for 13 years. And he said, I don't believe that they're going to hurt me. But at the end of the summer of his 13th year there, one of the bears looked at him and said, hmm, you look a little bit better than the berries that I've been eating. And I don't mean to be flippant towards him. Man, I'm sorry for his family. I really am. But one of those bears mauled him and ate him even though he believed that they weren't going to hurt him. Listen, if you don't believe that Satan is out there and that he exists, in a very real way, you are like Timothy, who is saying, I don't believe the bears are going to hurt me. They're my friends. Satan is real. He is out there. And if you don't believe that he's there, he has already won the battle against you to be able to train wreck your life. So who is Satan? Remember very quickly, he was an angel. God created him. He was a very powerful spiritual being. He fell from heaven due to the pride in wanting to be God. He was given limited freedom to influence the earth. He seeks to destroy what God has created and what God loves. And he wants nothing more than to be able to wreak havoc in your life. But there's some other things you need to be reminded about is this, is that he is not all-powerful, he is not all-knowing, he is not ever-present, and he will ultimately be defeated by God and judged in hell. And that's good news. We have two extremes, typically as Christ followers, in dealing with Satan. We, there's some of us that either blame him for everything, and they say, oh my goodness, the tree in my backyard died because Satan is out there and he's evil. Or they deny his existence, and we've already talked about the problem with that. So what is the, over, what is the strategy to overcome Satan? It's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. It's the spiritual armor of God. The clock is telling me I've got to hurry up, so I'm not going to read that passage for you. Write it down, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. But let me say this about that passage. It's a very familiar passage to many of you, I'm sure, the spiritual armor of God. Let me describe it for you this way. When Paul was writing here, he used a Roman soldier to describe what this armor could or should look like. He was not being literal in the sense that the helmet of salvation would fit on your head and only protect your brain from Satan. Okay, he was, he was describing what a fully garbed, ready-for-battle Roman soldier looked like. And he's saying, if you leave one of these things out that I'm talking about, and I'm going to recap them here for you in a second without reading it to you. If you leave one of these off, you're like a Roman soldier that's not really ready for battle. That's the whole point of it, okay? Does that make sense? Don't get stuck on the, okay, this is for my head, and this is for my heart, and this is for my feet. It's not what his point was, I don't believe. I believe he's saying you got to have all of these things so that you are ready for battle. What were those things that he writes about in Ephesians 6? It's truth. Basing your life on God's truth and not man's version of truth. Righteousness, 
based not on your own righteousness, but based on the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Readiness to share the good news. Being willing and able to speak the gospel to other people. Faith. Faith and a reliance upon God and his direction. Salvation. In Jesus alone, not by our own works, so check this out, so that when Satan comes to you and says, you are not good enough, don't you even remember what you thought yesterday? You're not good enough to do anything. Don't you remember what you did yesterday? You can say, you know, you're right, I'm not good enough, but my salvation is not based on what I do. It's based on nothing else but the work of the cross, work of Jesus on the cross. God's word, the Bible, reading and studying and meditating over it, making it a part of who you are, and prayer. You pray. How do you put that spiritual armor on? You pray that passage of Scripture daily for yourself. You just say, God, help me in these areas. Help me with your truth, with your faith, with righteousness, being ready to share the gospel. Help me with those things. That's how you put on the spiritual armor. That's how you overcome Satan, those seven Those seven elements of armor right there. But now listen. In a group this size, in a church this size, there's people that show up every Sunday morning that don't even know who Jesus is. They don't have that relationship with him. And I've got to tell you, this whole thing that we've talked about overcoming evil, not just today, but throughout the whole series and into the future, it starts with a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, none of this other stuff can even apply to you. You can't do it on your own. It starts there. So I want to ask that you bow your head and close your eyes, please. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.